0: Preface and introductory to wayside and woodland trees a pocket guide to the british silva this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org wayside and woodland trees a pocket guide to the british silva by edward step preface The purpose of this volume is not the addition of one more to the numerous treatises upon silviculture or forestry, but to afford a straightforward means for the identification of our native trees and larger shrubs for the convenience of the rural rambler and nature lover. The list of British arborescent plants is a somewhat meager one, but all that could be done in a pocket volume by way of supplementing it has been done by adding some account of those exotics that have long been naturalized in our woods, and a few of more recent introduction that have already become conspicuous ornaments in many public and private parks. In this edition, forty-eight extra plates have been added, of which twenty-four are in colors. The latter are, in part, reproductions of watercolor studies of flowers and fruits, and partly from photographs by a new method. For the black and white plates, the photographs, it should be explained, have been taken upon a novel plan in most cases. This consists in photographing a deciduous tree in its summer glory, and returning to the same spot in winter and photographing the same individual, so that a striking comparison may be made between the summer and winter aspects of the principal species. Supplementary photographs are given, in many cases, of the bole, which exhibit the character of the bark and should prove a valuable aid in the identification of species. Others show in larger detail the flowers or fruit and the characteristic leaf buds in spring. The figures in the text have all been expressly drawn for the work, with a view to showing at a glance the general character of the foliage and, in most cases, the flower and fruit. The work is divided into two sections. Part one, including those species that are generally considered to be indigenous to the British islands, with briefer notices of the introduced species that are closely related to them. Part two, being devoted to those of foreign origin, some of them introduced so long ago that they are commonly regarded as native by those who are not botanists. Introductory. There are two points of view from which to regard trees, the mercantile and the esthetic. The former is well exemplified in Dumbadike's advice to Jock. Jock, when ye hae naething else to do, ye may be a stickin' in a tree. It will be growin' Jock when you're sleepin'. The canny Scot was thinking of the unearned increment another generation might gather in, due to the almost unceasing activity of the vegetable cells in the manufacture of timber. The other view was expressed by the autocrat of the breakfast-table, in a letter to a friend, Whenever we plant a tree, we are doing what we can to make our planet a more wholesome and happier dwelling place for those who come after us, if not for ourselves. But, after all, it is the trees that have been planted by nature that give the greatest pleasure apart from commercial considerations. The lonely pine, that grows in rugged grandeur on the edge of the escarpment where its seed was planted in the crevice by the wind, the oak that grows outside the forest where a squirrel or jay dropped the acorn and where the young tree had room all its life to throw out its arms as it would the little cluster of birches that springs from the ferns and moss of the hillside all trees so grown develop an individuality that is not apparent in their fellows of the timber forest and however we may delight in the peace and quiet of the forest with its softened light and cool fragrant air we can there only regard the tree in a mass we might indeed reverse the old saying and declare that we cannot see the trees on account of the wood nature and the timber producer have different aims and pursue different methods in making of forests though the latter is not above taking a hint from the former occasionally nature mixes her seeds and sows them broadcast over the land she intends to turn into forest that the more vigorous kinds may act as nurses sheltering and protecting the less robust then comes the struggle for existence with its final ending in the survival of the fittest. In the meantime, the mixed forest has given shelter to an enormous population of smaller fry—plants, mammals, birds, and insects—and has been a delightful recreation ground for man. The timber producer aims at so controlling the struggle for existence that the survival of the fit is maintained from start to finish he plants his young trees in regular order putting in nurses at intervals and along the borders intending to cut them down when his purpose has been served the timber trees are allowed no elbow room the putting forth of lateral branches is discouraged but steady upward growth and the production of canopy is abetted his aim is to get these timber sticks as near alike as possible free from individuality and with the minimum of difference in girth at top and bottom of each pole This means a thicker and longer bulk of clean timber when the tree is felled and squared. The continuous canopy induces growth in the upward direction only, and discourages the weed and undergrowth that add to the charm of the forest, but which unprofitably use up the wood-producing elements in the soil. This plan contrasts strongly with the views on planting formerly prevalent in this country john evelyn for example making a special point of giving the oak room to stretch out its arms free from all encumbrances but then unlike the timber producers evelyn had an eye for landscape beauty and giving an opportunity for the display of such beauty he says and if thus his majesty's forests and chases were stored viz with this spreading tree at handsome intervals by which grazing might be improved for the feeding of deer and cattle under them for such was the old saltus being only visited with the gleams of the sun and adorned with the distant landscapes appearing through the glades and frequent valleys nothing could be more ravishing the greater the success of the forester the more profound is the solemn stillness of the forest and the more monotonous in place of the natural forest with its varied and teeming life we have what wordsworth called a timber factory in the natural forest with its mixture of many kinds of trees the undergrowth of shrubs and carpet of grass and weeds the stronger trees spread out their arms in all directions and fritter away as the scientific forester would say their wood producing powers in making much firewood and little valuable timber but the result is very beautiful and the nature lover can wander among it without tiring and can study without exhausting its treasures emerson says in the woods is perpetual youth within these plantations of god a decorum and sanctity reign a perennial festival is dressed and the guest sees not how he should tire of them in a thousand years to the scientific forester this is all waste land and he pleads for the higher culture being applied to it with every desire that the natural resources of our country should be properly developed we do hope that he will not be entirely successful in his efforts and that a few of the woods and wastes of nature's own planting may be left for the recreation of the simple folk who have not yet taken to appraising the value of everything by the price it will fetch in the market the trees described in this volume are the really wild growths that have lived a natural life and though many of the photographs are from planted trees they are such as have been allowed to grow as they would and show the characteristic branching of the species a few words on the life of a tree may be welcomed here by those readers who have not made a study of botany although the nurseryman makes use of suckers and cuttings for the quicker multiplication of certain species every tree in its natural habitat produces seeds and is reproduced by them the flowering of our forest trees is a phenomenon that does not as a rule attract attention but their fruiting or seed-bearing becomes patent to all who visit the woods in autumn a tree has lived many years before it is capable of producing seed the seed-bearing age is different in each species thus the oak begins to bear when it is between sixty and seventy years old the ash between forty and fifty the birch and sweet-chestnut at twenty-five years Some produce seed every year after that period is reached, others every second, third or fifth year, others again bear fitfully except at intervals of from six to nine years when they produce an enormous crop. Most tree seeds germinate in the spring following their maturity, but they are not all distributed when ripe. The birch, the elm and the aspen, for examples, retain their seeds until spring, and these germinate soon after they have been dispersed. The seeds contain sufficient nutriment to feed the seedling whilst it is developing its roots and first real leaves. We can, of course, go further back in stating our observations of the life progress of the monarch of the forest. We can dissect the insignificant greenish flower of the oak when the future seed, acorn, is but a single cell, a tiny bag filled with protoplasm. From that early stage to the period when the tree is first ripe for conversion into timber, we span a century and a half, equal to two good human lives, and the oak is but at the point where a man attains his majority. The oak is built up after the fashion by which man attains to his full stature. It is a process of multiplication of weak, minute cells which become specialized for distinct offices in the economy of the vegetable community we call a tree some go to renew and enlarge the roots others to the perfecting of that system of vessels through which the crude fluids from the roots are carried up to the topmost leaf whence after undergoing chemical transformation in the leaf laboratory it is circulated to all parts of the organism to make possible the production of more cells each of these has a special task and it becomes invested with cork or wood to enable it to become part of the bark or the timber or it remains soft and develops the green colouring matter which enables it when exposed to sunlight to manufacture starch from carbon and water this is very similar to what takes place in a human organism where the nutriment taken in is used up in the production of new cells which are differentiated into muscle cells bone cells epidermal cells and so forth building up or renewing muscles or nerves bones or arteries but the mechanism of distribution is different the heart pump doing the work of capillary attraction and gravitation the ancients believed in the dryads spirits that were imprisoned in trees and whose life was coterminous with that of the tree and it will be seen that they had stronger physical justification for their belief than they knew shakespeare relates how Sycorax, the witch mother of caliban imprisoned ariel in a tree and huxley finally tells us that the plant is an animal confined in a wooden case, and nature, like Sycorax, holds thousands of delicate aerials imprisoned in every oak. She is jealous of letting us know this, and among the higher and more conspicuous forms of plants, reveals it only by such obscure manifestations as the shrinking of the sensitive plant, the sudden clasp of the Dione, or, still more slightly, by the phenomena of the cyclosis. The tree, as we have indicated, gets its food from the air and the soil. The rootlets have the power of dissolving the mineral salts in the soil in which they ramify. Some authorities believing that they are materially helpful in this respect, so far as organic matter is concerned, by a fungus that invests them with a mantle of delicate threads. However that may be, the fluid that is taken up by the roots is not merely water, but water plus dissolved mineral matter and nitrogen. At the same time, as the roots are thus absorbing liquid nutriment, the leaves, pierced with thousands of little stomata, or mouths, take in atmospheric air, which is compounded chiefly of the gases oxygen and carbon. The leaf cells containing the green coloring matter, chlorophyll, seize hold of the carbon and release the oxygen the carbon is then combined with the fluid from the roots by the vital chemistry of the leaves and is circulated all over the system for the sustenance of all the organs and tissues the flowering of the trees varies so greatly that it can only be dealt with satisfactorily as each species is described it may be stated however that all the true forest trees are wind fertilized and therefore have inconspicuous greenish blossoms By true forest trees, we mean those that alone or slightly mixed are capable of forming high forest. The smaller trees, such as crab, rowan, cherry, blackthorn, hawthorn, buckthorn, etc., belong more to the open woodland, to the common and the hedgerow. These from their habitat can be seen singly and therefore can make use of the conspicuous flowers that are fertilized by insects. End of Preface and Introductory